so yeah i had it i was all set up with my with my computer studio set up and then i was like oh my goodness i need to <laughs> me too my grand my grand was grand opening my premiere yeah with amanda rose marcella in cincinnati that preaches at buffalo wild wings the pro-life message oh okay i didn't know that either <laughs> i can't go and nothing happened so me and my wife had to ad lib it so i'm uh, a it's good to have you well thanks for having me are we live now oh it looks like we are okay great um i found your i'm not sure how i ran across your channel or your website where peter is yeah but i worked for ewtn when the Pachamama stuff erupted. And uh, at that time, I was probably drifting towards the um, rat, what they call the rad trad. Oh, yeah. And because um, I worked with a bunch of guys like that that just absolutely hated Pope Frank. I mean, right there at the studio, I'm I was always afraid of getting fired because people would talk about the Pope loud enough to be heard on international live TV. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I hope they're not thinking this is me talking. But, boy, I'd hear it. And then I, one of my jobs was to uh, transport journalists from the airport to the studio, to the guest house or whatever. Yeah. And so I met a journalist from... He's a Hispanic guy. He's from, uh, I think he's from Denver. I don't okay. remember his name. But Alberto? You know, Mike? Bermudez? Bermudez? Alberto Bermudez? Does that ring a bell? I, you know, I from think. From Peru? No. I think it, it, it okay. does me, but. Yeah. I would. No, I eventually got fired, but I would. If I had the chance to talk to somebody, talk to somebody that knew what was going on, I would ask. And yeah. he finally did me in. But he told me that night, that evening, that there's another side to this that's not out there. Besides what you're hearing, what you're upset about. Maybe he gave me your link. I don't know. But I want to hear your side of things. Sure. Uh, where do you want me to begin? We can. I, I've got close to an hour, so whatever you want. The show's yours. I'll just listen. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, um, you when we when we exchanged messages, one of the things you asked about was 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 my background. And so, just to give you uh, a little bit of my background, I am a cradle Catholic, uh, one of four kids. Um, I was number two. And my my younger brother, who's number three, we were both altar boys together, grew up serving mass. Um, and uh, he's a priest now. So, <laughs> you know, he, he's the one who took one for for the team. I'm <laughs> I'm married with four kids of my own. Um, and we uh, we have an older had an older sister who passed away in 2021 and a younger sister who is uh, married with uh, two little kids. She's in her in her early 30s. So, um, anyway, we, uh, my mom grew up cradle Catholic. My dad grew up Methodist. And it's funny because before he, before they got married, I mean, this, this kind of shows you a conversion story. 
his reason for converting was, well, it makes more sense if both parents are the same religion. That that was it. <laughs> read it. Man. <laughs> but the funny thing is, I think I like to describe him, or I've described him in the past as a, uh, he was like a cradle Catholic who was born at 25 years old. So he started knowing nothing, but, you know, he had a very genuine faith. Um, sadly, both of my parents passed away in, the, in their 60s. But, you know, he passed away. He received uh, confession the last day of his life. We didn't, he had kidney cancer. We didn't know it was going to be his last day. Um, but, you know, hospital chaplain happened to go around and and my brother had already anointed him that morning. And then, you know, the cha- the chaplain comes in and says, is there anything I can do? And it's like, well, you know, he, and and he was still talking. He was struggling, but, you know, that, that was a great grace. Um, and so he, he passed away in 2016, but his, I mean, from the South. So this is where the connection comes in his mom. So he grew up in suburban Maryland. His mom though, is from coffee County, Georgia and grew up Southern Baptist. <laughs> so, um, she met my grandfather, uh, during world war II, And they, uh, she was working at, she had been a school teacher, but she was working as an airplane mechanic and he was in the Army Air Corps stationed down in Georgia. So they wound up moving back to Maryland. So we were the Yankee relatives for her family. <laughs> we, we might be related, dude. We might be. I don't know. Rollins? Is that, that was the last name. Um, the airplane mechanic part, the South Georgia <laughs> and all that stuff, World War II, Rosie Riveter, okay. all that. Yeah. So every couple of years we went, uh, we'd go down to Georgia for a family reunion and, you know, we'd, uh, go hog hunting or coon hunting or, uh, you know, look at, you know, ride tractors, shoot BB guns, things that we weren't, uh, that the Yankee cousins weren't used to doing. (laughs) So that was, uh, yeah. So that, so that's my, that's my Southern connection. It's been a little while since I've been down there, but the, you know, down in Alabama, you know, there's some, it's, there's a little tie there, but anyway, grew up Catholic, grew up. So my mom, her mom was actually a convert from Baptist as well. Um, but her father was a cradle Catholic and, you know, they grew up going to Catholic school, you know, the typical suburban Catholic school experience. And then, um, Vatican II rolled around and my grandfather did not like it one bit. Um, and, you know, I think one blessing though, was he wasn't a joiner. Um, so he never like went and found the SSPX or anything like that. He basically, he'd go to, you know, he'd go to the local mass and, uh, and it's funny cause the, the church that he, that was down the street from my grandparents was probably one of the most like liberal, you know, I don't know, homemade bread and liturgical dancing. You hear about the sixties and seventies in the Catholic church, he was so traditional that it never occurred to him to go outside the parish boundaries <laughs> to find another parish. To go. Website, a webcam. Yeah. What's that? He didn't start a web a website. No, or- nothing like that. He didn't know. He didn't know much about the internet. He he subscribed to some magazines and newspapers and read you know books that you know taught that were against Vatican II. But and you know he'd go to mass and he wouldn't do any of the responses. Um, and, uh, you know, then he'd come home and complain about it. Um, I grew up at a more standard Catholic church. And actually, my grandparents were like, oh, well, we'll start going here now because that's where you go. But they endured this church for, um, 
you know, a good, uh, a good tenor, uh, you know, 20 years mm-hmm. without, without, you know, where the, you know, the priests were set, just every stereotype in the book. And so I kind of grew up, my mom was very active in the pro-life movement, you know, my dad too. And, but she would get these magazines and things like that. And my grandfather, sort of the combination, I kind of grew up with sort of a, I don't want to say trad mentality, but I call it trad adjacent, you know, some of these fears of, um, you know, who's infiltrating the church? Are we going to have a modernist Pope someday? Like all these kinds of things, you know, we kind of, I, I did, my mom wasn't as extreme. Um, so we did love John Paul II growing up, you know, and he was, he was a huge influence on my life and, you know, all, you know, basically I stayed, you know, never strayed completely, you know, kept going to mass. I mean, you know, I wasn't perfect by any means. I'm a sinner. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to grandstand about that, but, um, I, you know, in my twenties, you know, I got, I got married. I started working. I was working in a calcium tablet factory in Northeast Pennsylvania, um, doing like the quality assurance. And at a certain point I'm thinking to myself, like, how did I wind up here and why am I, you know, and it's, it, my wife is pregnant and we're, I'm away from home and, you know, or away from our relatives, away from my friends. And I w- I started reading some, uh, well, reading some uh, Pope Benedict books and reading the scriptures. I, I read all the way through the Acts of the Apostles. And, and so I would call this sort of my conversion experience in life. But I started reading about, you know, the Lord is kind and merciful and happier they, you know, Christianity is a source, you know, of joy. Um, and I started to realize, you know, kind of this negative conspiratorial approach to the faith. Like I don't, I don't relate to the joyful part, you know, I, it's about fear of hell for me more than, um, love of God. I mean, that's always, you know, those are the the two things that people like to balance and, or that balance that we all kind of hang with. And so, um, I decided, you know, in prayer, you know, and, um, I was having, you know, just sort of a rough time at the job because there was nobody my age. And, you know, I, you know, it, it, it was just a, str- it was just a strange environment and I felt very, very isolated. Um, I said, God, you know, I want to, I want to know that joy. Like, I know I've not been doing it right, whatever it is, you know, and I was very judgmental. You know, I'd see my friends go off the deep end and I'd yell at them if they stopped going to mass or, you know, and I mean, obviously you do want friends to encourage you in your life. But I mean, for me, it was like, oh, my goodness, my friend is in mortal sin. I'm going to, you know, that's the way my mind operated at the time. And um, I started reading. So here's there was a there was a line in. I don't know if you've come across Jesus of Nazareth by um, Pope Benedict. He wrote that trilogy of books. And we I was in a, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually pretty high level reading. So it was sort of like, I was picking out these little bits here and there that, that jumped out at me. And there was one part where, so I was in a, there was a, it was a book club at, at my parish. I'd gotten a new job. We'd moved back down to Maryland. Um, and one of the, one of the lines in the book was, and he's just, he's just talking about something else, but then he's like, this is this, you know, this harms and the line was friendship with Jesus on which everything else depends. Now I know you, you, you were Baptist, right? Mm-hmm. Or 
friendship with Jesus was the whole. Th- I had never heard that other than from Baptists. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it wasn't like that wasn't a Catholic thing. And to see that the Pope had written friendship with Jesus on which everything else depends. I started to think I want friendship with Jesus. Um, then I started working, uh, you know, God blessed me with a job working at the bishop's conference. Well, blessed and was also a curse in a way. Um, I was working for the U.S. Bishops Conference in, uh, in a, from about 2010 to 2017. Um, but it's funny because I knew that there was a chapel in the building, and I know they had, and I knew they had daily mass. And before I started the job, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I'll go to daily mass once or twice. Uh, you know, <laughs> very first day, the coworker that I was shadowing said, "Well, I go to daily mass, so if you want to come to mass with me." And, you know, there's that Catholic guilt that's ingrained. <laughs> there's noon mass in the very building. I started going to daily mass. I started, you know, um, there was a, a basilica across the street where I could go to confession every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wanted, I didn't go every day because, but I mean, I went regularly. I went, I went as often as I could. It was available every day. Um, went to mass every day, started doing adoration at my parish. It was, I mean, I was really on fire for for the faith. So this is 2010. Then in 2013, you know, as I'm living this Catholic life, Pope Benedict resigns. And I mean, he had been a huge, obviously, influence in my faith, you know, and, and I, you know, I love the Pope and, you know, um, Francis gets elected, right? And, and I mean, you probably, I, what year did you become Catholic? I went to my very first mass in my life, 2013. Oh, so <laughs> it was a in- very interesting time to. to... Didn't. I didn't start going every Sunday till yeah. midnight mass. So 2014 was mm-hmm. my full year. You know, Francis, I'm a child of Francis. Yeah. I but can't remember Francis, yeah. Papa Frank. But I yeah. knew who Pope John was. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody loved him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and it was funny because I think Pope Benedict, he was a quiet intellectual. He was he didn't have the charisma of John Paul II. I heard, like, John Paul II was the Pope of my first, like, I was born in 1979. Mm-hmm. So literally, you know, I'm 43 now, but the first 26 years of my life was the same Pope. Right. And, and, uh, you know, and so he was sort of a fatherly influence. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't reading church documents or following church news super closely when I was a kid. But, you know, Benedict came around at a time where I was starting to explore more deeply. Um, and then, you know, and the, one of the things that happened, I think, after I had that friendship with Jesus moment was a lot of... um a lot of my my anger fell from me. A lot of my judgmentalism. A lot of my like, I want to, um, you know, be a, my the prayer, the evangelization prayer, rather than like, how am I going to convince this person to become Catholic? It changed to God, whatever you Lord, whatever you want me to be in this person's journey, help me to be that. Um, I need to write that prayer down. <laughs> <laughs> that's go ahead um and it's it's funny because it's like my my old pastor tells a story about how you know there was a woman in his parish and her, her son had fallen away from the faith 
and she had been working on him for years and years to come back. She finally got him to agree to meet with my pastor, who's very, you know, he's a very charismatic guy, got a good personality, really cares about people, really listens. And so it took one meeting for the son to decide to come back to the church. <laughs> and so the mother's like, I've been working on him. And 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 my priest said, you did all the work. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you were there, you know, it's, he was the, he was the closer, but she was the person who really, who really did it. And, and so it's like, it ultimately, it comes down to what the person decides. You know, these are things that you don't, you often don't find out until, uh, you know, until you're in heaven, like what effect that kind word you said to somebody had or what, you know, what that prayer did. So anyway, I, I'm kind of getting off our topic because we want to get to Pachamama. So let's fast forward to Pope Francis, right? And obviously you're saying you worked at EWTN. So you heard the chatter. I heard this. So here's the thing. I come from being skeptical, a little skeptical about the popes, a little bit worried that some of their teaching is iffy, you know, all these kinds of things. And when I was, and during my period where I'm going to daily mass, I'm also, you know, it's, I mean, maybe you experience at EWTN, you're sitting at the lunch table with a couple of theologians and priests and you're having these conversations. And so a priest who actually, he's my, he's my daughter's godfather now. Um, you know, I was like, well, how do you know if the things that the Pope teaches are heretical or not because that's you know that's a big conversation that people are having nowadays and he just sort of like looked at me puzzled like what what does that mean mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm like you know if he writes an encyclical like how do you know which parts of it have heresies which parts are errors um and and i'm thinking there must be a book somewhere that you know because i'm reading these blogs i'm watching these you know videos thinking like well, these people must know where this stuff is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and he directed me to Lumen Gentium, which is one of the documents of... I'm reading it now. I just finished it. Well, and number 25 is the big one when it comes to the Pope. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've, if you've put a check mark by that, but it says, you know, when the Pope teaches in an official way on faith and morals, um, you know, you owe him religious assent. Like the assumption is that you're, uh, you're not, it's not error. It's not, it's not heresy. So, so anyway, I, um, I was sort of puzzled by that. There's a, there's a book that was written by the CDF. I read a lot by father John Harden. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He was a, he was a Jesuit, a very conservative Jesuit. He died in about the year 2000 and he went to, um, he was a big, he was a big retreat master. And there were a lot of like audio type audio tapes um, where he talks about things like papal primacy and um, church authority and, you know, the different moral teachings of the church and, you know, and, and so, and he was an old school Jesuit. So they had, you know, they have that special vow for um, loyalty to the Pope. Yeah. And so I'm reading these things and and people are telling me, well, you know, Amoris Laetitia has errors in it. And I'm like, but I'm reading this thing that says if the Pope teaches on faith and morals, you know, and they're like, he's given communion to adulterers. And, and it's like, you know, you have to kind of pinpoint exactly. I mean, he gives a very, it's a very nuanced document, right? 
and this conflict, it was like, okay, so I've just freed myself from sort of this mentality of constantly judging the church. But now all of my friends who love JP2 and who love Benedict, now they've fallen into that. And, and so I, it was this dilemma. And I, and I thought to myself, I'm going to, you know, I, my conscience is telling me, you know, in prayer, I've got to stick with the Pope. Mm-hmm. So. Joseph, oh, excuse me, Mike. Yeah. Uh, Joseph, Mike, Mike, you get to your question in a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I, I saw the question pop up, but I didn't read it. So anyway, let's, um, so anyway, these, you know, these different events were happening. He would, you know, the death penalty, um, you know, it was, you know, you read these things where, you know, he stands up. Well, I mean, you know, they'll criticize him for saying, you know, like priests shouldn't be little monsters and yell at people in, in the confessional. Mm-hmm. And like, then the headline is like, how dare he call priests little monsters? And I'm like, well, are you yelling at people in the confessional? Are you defending pre like I don't, if if you're not yelling at people in the confessional, then you're not being the little monster. He's not talking to you. You know, it's sort of like, but it seems like anytime, you know, they're like, he's so insulting to faithful Catholics. And it's like, no, he's criticizing a little, he's criticizing an attitude. Um to go back to same yeah. people, uh, Padre Pio, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Padre Pio. It's okay for Padre Pio to fuss and yell. Well, he could read your soul. <laughs> That's a little different. But um, yeah, and and also going back to Pope Benedict, it's funny because there are um in that same book, Jesus of Nazareth, he tells the story of the prodigal son, but he flips the story. He calls it the parable of the elder brother. And I had never thought about, I don't know if you've thought about it in that way, but when you're the person who's like, I'm trying to follow the rules, I'm trying to do what I'm, you know, and I'm never getting anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, little brother comes back and they throw him a big party. And it's like, you know, I like, I would read like conversion stories, like, oh, I was a party animal and I was on drugs and, you know, it was great. And I, you know, or I read it as like, and, and, you know, Pope Benedict said, the reason why he was the older brother was mad was because the little brother had done all the things that he wanted to do, but was too afraid to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that kind of speaks to me. You know, I've always tried to be this good kid and I'm just resentful. You know, I don't, you know, and, and so that's, so anyway, make a long story short, when Pope Francis came, it was a point in my spiritual development where I had thrown away the, you know, oh, well, he needs to wear this kind of, you know, he needs to put this kind of cloth over this kind of chalice and needs to, you know, and when he just, you know, decides I'm going to have Holy Thursday mass in a youth prison and I'm going to wash the feet of whoever's there. Like that kind of struck me. as like, wow, like he's just doing what, you know, all these things that seem kind and seem natural and seem like the outreach to me. And the people that are criticizing him are saying, no, it needs to be this way and this way and this way. And, you know, so then along comes the, um, well, so then what happened was after seven years at the USCCB, they decided to close half of the communications department. Hit me like a ton of bricks. My dad had just died. You know, we had a newborn. um, And so I was, you know, 
And I didn't expect this to happen at all. They were t- saying, oh, well, we're going to have this great reorganization and, you know, it's going to be, it's going to benefit everybody. And, it's, and, you know, I even had a meeting with my boss to talk about what role I'd like to work in and the new, you know, and so, you know, then it's like, okay, well, we're going to start the reorganization. We get this email. Uh, well, we're going to start implementing the reorganization. And I was actually looking forward to my little meeting with my boss and, and he comes with the HR person and they're like, your position has been eliminated. And your last day is a month from now, <laughs> you know, it's so, um, and they're basically, they eliminated a bunch of positions, but they created a few new positions. So I tried to like interview and tried to get one of those positions. And on my second to last day, I had an interview for one of those positions and the interview went really well. And the manager that interviewed me said, you know, I think this is a good fit. We'll talk to HR. Three hours later, I get a call from HR saying I'm no longer a candidate for the position. And so I'm thinking, like, why, God? Like, why did you just, you know? And so it was sort of like, that was Thursday. My last day was Friday. I packed my things up. I signed my paperwork. And I, you know, and I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do on Monday? Um, And I felt like that there was a lot, you know, my job was, I worked in the communications department, but I was in publishing. And so I was very, um, you know, so it was a very functional job, you know, reprints, editing, you know, layout. I wasn't expressing myself in any way, but I was growing in my faith because, you know, not only was I going to to mass every day, but I was having these lunchtime conversations. And so I thought to myself, you know, I, I don't feel like my time working for the church is over. Like, I, I feel like I still have something to contribute. I mean, it's funny because when I left, a lot of people were like, you don't want to work for the church. I mean, I don't know if that was your feeling. <laughs> it's like, you don't even want to work for the church anymore. And I was like, I don't think I I, I want to do that for the church anymore. But I, I just feel like that I still have, you know, more to offer. And and so, uh, you know, this was a, a year or two after Amoris Letizia, and I had met a group of, you know, people online who you know, they love Benedict, they love, and, and that was one of the things, it was sort of like, when Francis became Pope, the left kind of said, oh, he's our guy, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna change everything, he's gonna change this teaching, and that teaching, and they're gonna, you know, this moral, and that moral, and the, uh, and it's funny, because I think on the right, they interpreted him the same way, except they were mad about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, anyway, along comes, uh, the Amazon Senate. Let's jump ahead to that. And sorry to fill up the first part with the bi- biographical I'm part. I'm with you. I do. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so um, basically, occasionally, and this goes back to Benedict, this goes back to uh, John Paul as well. Um, so there's a regular synod, an ordinary synod that's held like every every three years. And so the Eucharist, the new evangelization, the clergy, we had the synod on the, we had two synods on the family, the synod on youth and young people. But sometimes, and John Paul did it for Africa. He did it for the Americas. I think he did it for Europe. Anyway, it, basically they will, the Pope will call a special synod that just deals with one part of the world. And, um, and so based on a number of factors, uh, partially probably being from South America, even though not in the Amazon, 
um, Pope Francis decided that the Amazon uh, region needed some needed some focus from the Catholic Church. And there were a number of reasons for this. Part of it was because there were Catholics in the Amazon, and they're still living in their traditional indigenous way. They had, you know, it's a tribe of, you know, 25 to 40 people. They live off the land in the rainforest, you know, in the rainforest region. Um, and each of these communities is considered a parish or a church, right? And in one of these dioceses, I know he met with the bishop and the bishop said, I have 27 priests and 800 parishes. Like, imagine that. So, and these aren't like churches. These are just little villages or groups that maybe move around a little bit in certain regions. But the way that they are, um, the way that they're constituted, the way that, you know, they get some missionaries in, they have, you know, sisters, brothers, lay volunteers who will go around to these communities, you know, pray with them go through the strict the scriptures catechize them um you know it's funny that there was a nun i think that was at the senate who basically said you know i travel to these villages you know i baptize because lay people you know can do that i i witness marriages you know i bring communion with me i um and i hear confessions but i can't absolve them <laughs> you know but people need somebody to talk to you know religious influence to talk to but these are people who, and this is one of the things, and I had studied up on it a little bit. These weren't, aren't people who have internet. These aren't people who, you know, read the blogs or know anything about the right vestments or, you know, this is when you genuflect. This is when you, you know, th who knows if they've even set foot in a real church building. You know, they probably set up for mass when, the, when a missionary priest comes through every six months. Um so these are people who, and, and here's the other thing, is these communities tend to have leaders, usually they're women, who are very well catechized and who make a point of leading the prayer and the worship for the community. You know, every night they'll go through the readings, you know, they'll say the prayers of the mass, even though they don't have the Eucharist. Um yeah, I mean the culture is, you know, they're living with monkeys and mangoes and 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 you know, in grass huts and, you know, who knows. But basically when the pope heard talk, spoke to this bishop and spoke to other people, he's like we need to have an Amazon synod to take to because the other thing is, you know, you hear about like McDonald's gets all their a lot of their beef from South America. They're knocking over the, the the rainforests where these people live, the land that these people live off, or they're contaminating the water. Um, you know, people keep getting relocated and moved by people who have money. You know, these are what's that? Colonization. Oh yeah, I mean, colonization is still going on there. The other thing that's happening is I've heard that like uh, Pentecostal preachers will come through. And so like the pre the priest hasn't been there in eight months. You know, he visited the village, he baptized the babies, he said mass a few times, he's heard confessions, comes back and they're all like, oh, we're Pentecostal now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
oh my goodness. So people came up with some ideas. They said, you know, maybe some of the older men in these communities, maybe we can, uh, you know, give them a little formation and then ordain them as priests, even if they're married, so that they can say mass and hear confession, you know. Um, eventually, and that was a proposal that was brought up. It was not approved in the end, but a lot of people were really angry that somebody brought that up. And I'm just thinking like, you know, what's the best way to help these? Like, I understand if it's not a good idea. And Pope Francis ultimately said, it's not a good idea right now. I don't, you know, we're not going to do that. But for, to get really angry about that idea didn't make any sense to me, you know? And there are other, and that, you know, women deacons is another issue that's brought up. You know, there's still a debate going on about that. Like even in John Paul's time, the question is whether women deacons are actually ordained or if it's just a title, you know, whether they're actually at, you know, at mass, like our deacons might be, or if they're, you know, more like counselors and servants, like that kind of thing. But it's it's worth, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's worth discussing because the Holy Spirit is going to guide the church and is going to help, you know, the church make the right decision. He's going to use um, What's that? The Holy Spirit's going to use somebody eventually to help them do the job. Because, you know, I'm from the Pentecostal, not yeah. the national churches. And it's all women do everything. There ain't a man right. around to do anything. <laughs> it's the women that do even the preaching. Oh, wow. Yeah. The nursery, the cleaning, <clears throat> they're doing. That's why today I'm, I'm looking for a female to help me here because you can't find guys to do anything in the church. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can imagine down there, in, in, you know, the way you describe it, it's like National Geographic. Oh, yeah. And they're expecting these people to uh, meet in cathedrals with all men. <laughs> so anyway, the, so so basically, you know, he announced the Senate, and then there was a group called Ray Pam. I don't know, R-E-P-A-M, and I think it stands for something in another language, but it's basically, you know, the organization of all the, you know, that was going to help prepare these Amazon Catholics for um, for the Senate. And one of the things, so think about it, like, you know, they don't know what the inside of a church looks like. They probably don't have many statues. I mean, they probably have what the missionaries have given them, but basically another part of their theology, which was given to them by the Franciscans. Now, keep in mind, you know, St. Francis was brother, son, sister, moon. We give thanks to the earth for giving it. <clears throat> but there was, um, and in the, in the uh, Andes mountains, which is like Peru, it's the mountains, not the Amazon. They have a goddess named Pachamama, who looks like a mountain, if you, you know, and sometimes yeah. she's got, um, but that wasn't the word Pachamama means Mother Earth down in the Amazon, and they do not look at her as a deity. They look, they just call it Mother Earth, sort of like Mother you know, Nature. What's that? Like saying Mother Nature here? Yeah, yeah, basically saying Mother Nature, or you know, you think of the like the Johnny Appleseed song, like the Lord is good to me, and so I praise the Lord for giving me all the things I need. I, you can sing it if you want. I'm not gonna, <laughs> but it's you know, basically they are so dependent on the land that they see it, they understand it's God's creation, and they understand they need to care for it, but they also understand that God uses this land to give them what they need. So if you remember that ceremony, 
So basically, this group Rapeham decided we're going to go to these communities. We're going to teach them about the Senate that's coming up. Like, here you are. This is going to be your chance to have your voices heard in Rome. Like the church, the global church is going to focus on your region. Um, and so they went to like the local market and they bought a bunch of souvenirs. So I, I don't know if you remember like the little, the little uh, boats and nets and they had fish and they had birds and they had little fake trees, little things that looked like, um, you know, they came oh, from that, sim you know, symbolized their earth. And they also bought those wooden statues. Now, those wooden statues were not Pachamama. And that's one thing that that needs to be made clear. That was not the name. Like, I, it's funny because I talked to a Brazilian and I'm like, if you show this statue to a native Brazilian, what would what would they call it? And they're like, that statue? I'm like, would they call it Pachamama? No. And I'm like, well, what would they call it? A statue of a pregnant woman. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't have a name it's just a figure and but the thing is and when the rapam people the people from the church that were sent by the vatican sent these packets with the with the boat and with the birds and with the fruit and you know the fish the wooden fish and with that statue to each of these communities they looked at it and i mean sorry you know just the fact of the matter is people in the rainforest have different standards of modesty than we do because it's so hot and you know they thought it was an image of the blessed virgin mary mm -hmm. and so some of the women some of the people maybe not all of them but they immediately associated this image with mary and so they you know they basically thought that you know it would be like if you gave them a statue of our lady Gu of guadalupe or something they didn't they didn't see it shocking or offensive because that looks like their culture and just like you see Mary, you know, in Africa could be, she could be black. You see her in Mexico. She could be Hispanic in the Amazon. She was a native woman wearing native dress. Mm -hmm. So then uh, they schedule the, the, the ceremony for October or the, the Synod for October. It was going to be three weeks in October. And the day before the Synod was the feast of St. Francis. So they decide to have, uh, they, they announce that they're going to have a tree planting and a prayer service for the Synod, for the people of the Amazon. And so basically it's, you know, about an hour long service. It's, um, you know, people sitting there, it's basically a bunch of church dignitaries sitting there fanning themselves because it was really hot outside one after another. I mean, you've seen some of these ceremonies, people get up, they read their prayer in their language, then they go sit down and it just sort of goes on and on and on. Well, at a certain part in this program, it's like, they invited a group of a couple of hundred people from the Amazon region. And of these, they took about, about 20 or 25 were invited to this prayer ceremony. And they're like, you guys are going to come up at this point. And basically what they did was they, they laid down this blanket and they put all the little figures on it. And in the center of that blanket, they put their, what they thought was the statue of our lady of Amazon. And then they sang a song and they went around in a circle. And these are the things that they're just, their culture does, you know, in our culture, maybe we don't sing in circles going around a, a blanket full of sim symbols of our region, but it, they were worshiping it. And if you if you look at when they and there's a good video of this that uh, on reason and theology where you they actually slow down and they show the moment that they kneel down, you can see that they are looking up to God, 
Now, I know with their hands up like this, and I know like a traditionalist would say, no, you're supposed to have your hands like this, you know, but it's, that's just the way they express themselves. That's the way the missionaries taught them to. That's the way they did before they became Christian. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with putting your hands up like this and looking up at the sky and praying to God. And then they went prostrate, which is to lay down, you know, and they weren't praying to those figures, which they, which were to them, they were just symbols of their culture, plus what they thought was a statue of Mary. Just like this. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's like, I want to show you something. So my, uh, so like, for example, my dad had a friend who was a priest who was a missionary in Haiti. And one time when he came back to the U.S. and visited, he brought this statue, right? This wooden figure. It's a woman. She's, you know, got something in her hand that she's looking at. I don't know. Is this the Blessed Virgin Mary? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe if I gave it to someone, they'd think it was. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, that's really all that it comes down to. Um, so anyway, after this happens, um, so they, they have their prayer. The woman who is the leader, because the women are the leaders, the woman who led the prayer service takes that statue, one of those statues, and hands it to Pope Francis and says, Our Lady of the Amazon in, in Spanish. And everyone's heard that. And then after the fact, like, I didn't think anything of it. But then I, you know, then all of a sudden I get a text from a friend who's like, what did they do in the Amazon <laughs> or in the in the Vatican Gardens? And, and I'm reading these articles saying it's paganism. And I was just like taken aback. I was... I was like, well, I don't really understand everything that happened there. And they wanted answers. Well, what was this? What was that? Why did they do this? Why did they prostrate themselves? You're only supposed to prostrate yourself in front of the, you know, in front of the Eucharist. It's like, well, if you've ever seen a, an old Russian Orthodox lady prostrating herself in front of, you know, in front of an icon, you know, I, I mean, different cultures have different ways of expressing things. And, um, and the thing is, these were Catholics. These were people who were leaders in their church who were missionaries who did a lot of work like they were picked because of their faith as an i mean you know people slip in or whatever but they they were picked by their communities as delegates to go represent their people up in the amazon and i don't know what happened i mean i think actually i think people were sitting and wait oh i know what (laughs) waiting for something to happen Mm -hmm. and as soon as they saw that statue and they just jumped on that and it's funny because so the website where peter is we started at the beginning of 2018 and in october 2019 when this happened our traffic increased tenfold and the reason why one of our contributors his name is pedro gabriel and he's actually a, a doctor who lives in portugal it's like he's a cancer doctor in portugal who speaks English. <laughs> so, and, but he also understands, you know, Spanish and Portuguese. And so he's listening, you know, so he listened to all these interviews. He did all this original research, like really, really dug into what exactly was going on. And, and really the, the story that I told was the fruit of Pedro's research. So the most, I mean, almost all the credit goes to him because it was like, I didn't understand what was going on. But the other thing is, and this is where things got really confusing was that, um, you know, the official person from, they'd have a press conference 
you know, with all of the, you know, with it'd be a panel of like three bishops or whatever sitting there and all these reporters would be asking them questions. And so they'd be like, are those statues the lady, Our Lady of Amazon? Well, if you're the Vatican official who's been giving them out as just symbols, they're like, no, I don't think it's Mary. You know, it's just a symbol. It could mean fertility. It could mean life. It could mean, you know, whatever. And without realizing the impact of this statement in the United States and in an English-speaking world. Um, and people, so every time someone at the press conference said, it's not Our Lady, you know, the media would pounce. Mm-hmm. Um, and the funny thing is, so Pedro, I think I counted them at one point, and I think the number's probably close to 40 now, but we had 32 articles about some aspect of, you know, when uh, Christianity encounters a non-Christian culture and they begin evangelizing the people, what stays and what goes, you know, Christmas trees are part of that old pagan culture, but we're going to put lights on them and put an angel on top and, and put a manger scene underneath. Now it's Christian, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's, and that's essentially what, what happened a lot in, you know, in the Amazon region. Um, but, you know, so Pedro did all this, all this study and all this, you know, this research. And, and I think a lot of people were like, I don't know what that was. I'm going to look it up. And they did. But here's the thing. Because it didn't have a name. Remember, I told you it didn't have a name. I didn't know what to call it. Be, even between ourselves, Pedro's like, I have another Pachamama piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, how's that Pachamama article coming oh, along? Or, everybody else is calling it. Everybody's calling it that. So then when it gets chucked in the river by that Austrian guy, and then they get recovered, Pope Francis, was like, I was like, oh, no. He's like, oh, I just want to let everyone know the Pachamamas got recovered. Yeah. They're <laughs> like, the Pope called it Pachamama, see? Even though a half hour later, the Vatican press office was like, oh, just to clarify, he's only calling it Pachamama because that's what the Italian press is calling it. But it didn't matter at that point. Because it's just a statue of a pregnant woman, you know, that everybody's been calling Pachamama for three weeks. Mm -hmm. That became its nickname. So it's, I mean, it's the Pachamama controversy. And it's very hard to, you know, dislodge Pachamama from what was actually going on. But that statue itself had nothing to do with Pachamama. Um, You know, and so here we we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so ever since then, you know, it's like I I, I was, Eric Sammons from Crisis wrote an article about how that was the cause of COVID. (laughs) You know, it's like God's wrath. It's like, why would he, you know, and it's, it, to me, it seems like it, it, it's sort of a, a break with reality almost. And I mean, I don't know where you were, you were doing your trad going towards trad. Is that all that was going on? Or <laughs> I, was, I mean, maybe you can fill in a little bit more of your experience. Cause that's, I mean, that's basically the story and we've been trying to, you know, push back against that narrative for a long time. What? But the reason why that issue is so important to me, and I don't know if you saw on Twitter, if you saw my recent, it's because it's like I said, if you want to, if you want to attack me, if you want to attack Pope Francis, if you want to attack where Peter is, if you want to attack Johnny, no offense, <laughs> go ahead. Mm-hmm. But these are people who are poor. They aren't treated well. You know, they're cast aside. And to accuse them of paganism, it, it's just it's just immoral to me. 
you know, like sit back and 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 think about who you were accusing and what you were accusing them of. This is hate. I kind of, man, you can really get in trouble trying to find examples to compare it to. It's hard to without offending someone, but, you know, it's just looking for a reason to hate. Looking oh, for yeah. And then something shows up that looks like a good reason, so you join the hate train. And once that hate train's got some uh, momentum going, it's hard to, it's hard oh, to yeah. stop. You know, I just, I live in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And there's a Catholic church within walking distance of me right now. That if some of my friends visited this Sunday, they would rent their robes. Oh, my. Absolute disgust at how redneck and what would they say? Liturgical abuses. And I'm like, you're in Alabama. You know, this is not Fifth Avenue. This is not the plaza. You know, this is not Rome. We're in Alabama. One of the poorest, illiterate, obese, ignorant places in America. Yeah. I mean, then I, mean, me, I could take you to places within two miles of me right now, and you would not believe you're in the United States of America. Okay. I'm talking about Appalachian people that, I mean, really bad, really mm-hmm. bad. I think you were in the 30s up in West Virginia. <clears throat> You go start a Catholic church up there. And what kind of mass is, what's the mass going to look like in three months? You know, it's going to look like mass in a redneck, white trash trailer park, dead end, swamp rat, cage. I mean, that's what it's going to look like for a while. And I just could, I don't know, it just, it, it bothered me because I was looking at those poor indigenous people. I, mm-hmm. I even hate saying that. Calling yeah. indigenous people, I'm no better. Yeah, and uh, well, none of us are. I mean, that's no, you know, you know, you know. I, the funny thing is, and this is a line from Pope Francis. I don't know if you've heard it before, but he's like, he said, "We serve the poor so that they can evangelize us." Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what the, that's what they're there for. I mean, not. I mean, not. I don't mean utilitarian, but I mean that's the reason why it's so necessary to, to help the poor and to, and to, you know, have solidarity with, with people on the margins is because we get evangelized that way. And when we're high and mighty in our, you know, in our fortresses or whatever, um, it's, it's not good for us. It's not good for the world. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I go to, um, I go to the cathedral in Birmingham and my priest, is a canon judge. Mm-hmm. And he's very traditional, proper, even wears a little Russian hat. I don't know what it is. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. With the two with the pom-poms on the top? Or the Alabama is hotter than hell and he's wearing <laughs> a Russian garment, the mass. And even rads look at videos of our mass and think we're doing the Latin mass. Yeah. That's the way Mass ought to be. That's the way it was before Vatican II. And I'm thinking, this is the new mass that we do. And it's proper, it's beautiful, it's perfect. There's incense, stained glass, lots of doctors, lots of young, mm-hmm. 
surgeons and lawyers and architects, and it's perfect and proper with the Greek, with the Gregorian. It's everything. They don't have that mm-hmm. in Amazon. Do they? I've never been to the Amazon. I've been to Appalachia. I mean, they probably have a couple of nice uh, cathedrals that, I mean, these people, don't, they don't have cars. You know, in the booth. <laughs> there might be a cathedral. There might be some churches in the, you know, small cities that they have. But yeah, no, I know. I don't, I've been to, um, I've been to Africa, you know what? Mm-hmm. And I've been at church in Africa to where the bathroom was a hole in the ground over in the corner. Yeah, and everybody went there during church and pulled the pants down and pooped, and they had a cow in the they had a cow in there called London, that you know kids want, needed milk. It was so, I mean, it was almost Stone Age. It was in um, way it was like hundreds of miles from Nairobi, where I was. Okay. They were doing the best they could do. Well, and yeah. I have a friend who I was just talking to the other day who said. When he went to Africa and saw the church there, I think it was on a mission trip or something like that. And he was basically like, all of this squabbling that we do about, you know, whether this is chanted or this is guitar mass chanted, it's like, you're lucky you have a shirt. You, know, to put on. <laughs> you remember, uh, I'll tell you how old their clothes are. They're running around in Jeff Gordon shirts over there. Oh, wow. Yeah. You no, know, people, these companies send crates over there of clothes that don't match and spell wrong. You know? Or the and, team that loses the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. They, they send a loser shirt to Africa. Yeah. yeah so everybody out there is wearing these. Uh, who was it? It was uh, Kansas City and who? Philadelphia. So you got millions of Africans wearing Philadelphia World Champion jerseys. Yeah. Over there. Not knowing. So yeah. the thing is that uh, I believe in proper mass and all. I love yeah. it. I am traditional. Yeah. You know? But to split hairs because, I mean, you're going to have some mama show up nursing kids in the bush. Let them. When I went to seminary, when I was going through uh, the missions program mm-hmm. seminary, they said, what do you do when you get to these places where you got plural marriage? I mean, you come along with Jesus and the man's already got 14 wives. Yeah. You do. What do the wives do? They told us to leave them alone. Yeah. That's what well, we and that's, were told, leave them alone. That's well, you know, in the Synod document, you know, they all they all criticized this document. Basically, the document was a list of problems or or things that troubled people. And I remember on EWTN, one of the things, so they talked about divorce and remarriage. They talked about cohabitation. They talked about, you know, gay marriage, whatever. And and they all threw in polygamy. And the, on EWTN, they're like, polygamy, this is ridiculous. Now we're going to have plural marriage in the church. Like they didn't understand that in Africa, this is a huge problem. And the thing is, it's also when you get too bound up with somebody. And you've got to like decide. So it's like, is you know, should the husband just cast the extra wives away and keep his favorite? Like, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no sense of like, let's stand back and try to understand why these problems are listed. So, 
I think that's um that's I mean it's just it, we have to start understanding other people and trying to to read where there's I mean all, you know in the United States we're lucky you know e- even if we're we're not super well off I mean you talk about in Appalachia of course things are not very are not good comparing ourselves to that and it's like whether or not somebody is, you know, kneeling at the right time at mass or something like that is just small potatoes compared to, you know, whether they even know God loves them, you know, it's, and, um, anyway, so that's, I think I've got to, I've got to head out and pick up my kids in a little bit, but, um, the time flew for me. I don't know if it did for sure. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I'd be you got something to say, call me. Cause, uh, you can say it in a way I can't. And uh, when I say it, I'm harsh. My friends, you're harsh. You know Father Mitch at EWKN? Yeah. Oh, they, I know. Who we, yeah, I know. They're always fussing at me. You know, I, I come in the dressing room grinning ear to ear one time. He said, what are you grinning about? I said, the uh, Southern Baptist got busted for a pedophile scam. It's all over the news. I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear. Uh, <laughs> yes. he goes, I oh, might be a little John that's not anything to be happy about you need to go to confession I said I went to confession before I came to tell you about it well and it, I guess it's good that you know truth comes to light Yeah, I'm looking at it that way you know it could have okay. remained buried you know I mean it, you know you hate that anyone got abused but but the fact that it got exposed and we can talk about it. And I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like one of the, and just to go back to like, people talk about these situations that people find themselves in, you know, multiple, you know, on their fourth wife or husband, you know, if they're, if they're gay or same sex attracted and they've been in this relationship, they've been in a relationship for a long time. It's like at a certain point, God is going to reach out into each of our lives at many points. And we might feel that prompting of a response, even if we're not ready to totally respond to it. Mm-hmm. And if the, and what Pope Francis is trying to do, because he, he was down in the slums in Argentina. Like that's where they said he's, he was, he frowned all the time, except when he was in the slums in the barrios is what they, they call it down in Argentina. And he would, you know, he'd be talking to the prostitutes and to the, you know, and, and to the orphans and to the thieves. And, you know, it, I mean, just like Jesus, huh? Just like Jesus. And it's, and it's like, you've got to love them. You can't just, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, I, I I'm a cradle Catholic. I need to be grateful for that. I can't be the elder brother who's judging everyone who isn't up to my standard. You know, I, I was blessed with a family that taught me my faith. I mean, my brother is a priest. That's how well we learned our faith growing up. It's, you know, um, but not, but that's not the case for everybody. And God pulls each person towards himself, but each person has a different journey. Yeah. And so that we'll go back to that point. We could close on that point, maybe where the one that you wrote down is, you know, don't get your kid, man. I don't want you that? your kid. You have to go pick your kid up or something. Oh, in a little bit, yeah. yeah. But no, the the point that I made was just you know, in event my my one tip for evangelization is that you pray to the Holy Spirit that you are that you serve God's will in that person's journey. Hmm. Not that you can turn them, not that you can convince them. I mean, maybe that'll happen. Who knows? But 
but you ask God for the words and you ask God for the role in that person's journey. That's good. That's good. That was one thing just to hear that. All right. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Johnny. And and my prayers are with you and your family. All right. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Call you later. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. God bless. Bye.